This is MJ Munoz. I am a writer, I am an artist, and I'm a podcaster. And I welcome you back to another fully operational analysis of Star Wars The Mandalorian. As I'm revisiting The Mandalorian in preparation to watch The Mando Season 2, I'm late, guys. I wanted to do it so bad, be done by the last week of October so I could watch uh, Mando Number 2. Apparently The Marshal's out, uh, or Season 2, Episode 1, and uh, it's great. It's what everybody's saying. I don't know. I'll get there someday. Who knows? Maybe never. Anyway, uh, so uh, first off, I wanted to give credit. The episode was written by um, <laughs> John Favreau, of course, and it was directed by Deborah Chow, who did, I think, two or three episodes this season. I don't know. There's only eight of them, and there were like four directors. There was uh, Chow, uh, Filoni, uh, Howard. Um, there's a black guy with like a Japanese last name, like Ron Fukuyama or something like that, I think. Anyway, I don't know, um, but that's okay. It doesn't matter right now point is she directed this and uh favreau wrote it and i think favreau was the uh, the beefy mandalorian like you see this guy here it was like super mando i think that's pretty i'm pretty sure that's him anyway fun fact for those of you who don't know who if you're checking this out i'm sure you do know but if you don't here you go pre vizsla was a mandalorian character with death watch and they were a mandalorian splinter group and they were violent mandalorians as opposed to the peaceful mandalorians of the clone wars uh that george lucas gave us uh in the series star wars the clone wars he voiced that guy and then uh you know he ends up voicing this guy in a little cameo he was the uh, monkey guy with the six arms or whatever in uh solo and you know he's working on the series that's really cool for that dude living his dreams i guess well i don't know if he dreamed of being star wars or not but he sure liked it so congratulations to that man and his good work. Also, go watch Chef. It's a good movie. Anyway, getting back on focus. Uh, I'm revisiting The Mandalorian Chapter 3. and basically seeing, is it as good as it was when I remember it? Uh, I remember the show being very good. Is it still good? Does it hold up? The answer is yes, it does. Uh, I want to double down on my talk of spirituality from last episode. Because uh, last time I was looking at Mandalorian Chapter 2, The Child, um, I came to accept the fact that it's not going to be about the particular person. Especially because this episode's called The Sin. Although it is really about the sin of The Mandalorian uh, feeling... Uh, to live up to the bounty hunter guilds. Uh, to sin means to fall short. Um, so technically he fell short of the bounty hunter guild laws by uh, going, like asking about the child afterwards after he turned him over, not forgetting about it, and then obviously going and stealing back the thing that you uh, got money for. Like he should have given up his Beskar armor in order to get it if you know all things were being equal and fair and whatnot. Um, but no, he, he steals and liberates, he liberates a child from uh, the Imperials here. And uh, we don't know what they were trying to extract from him. People have their theories. I don't know. Maybe it was the Force. Maybe it was uh, the the seed for, you know, Snoke to come up in the future, as somebody speculated. But uh, it doesn't matter. The point is, uh, how was the episode? The episode was really good. Uh, I really like the moral dilemma that the Mando got into and how you could see him struggle. And one of my favorite things about that was that he is uh, not known for, but in this, you get to realize that he is a foundling. He himself is a foundling. The child is a foundling. Who knows what happened to its parents? His parents are dead. They were killed in the Clone Wars by uh, the CIS, their you know droid army. Anyway, um, so th that explains his uh, disdain for droids. Um, but anyway, it was really interesting watching uh, the episode again. I got to see he had some beats with the child, some moments with the child where he... Uh, you know, kind of got used to it um, and having it around. But then there's also the, the added dimension of, again, them both being foundlings and how he was uh, saved and taken in by the Mandalorians and cared for when he could have been left to his death, which I kind of assume uh, that's what happened here. He was thinking that, you know, he, he could have been killed um, 
or left for dead by the Mandalorians, but you know, somebody took him in uh, and made him part of the clan. And uh, I think that's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, I did want to say, so uh, they did this really cool thing with the end credits. They just use the concept art, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> they play the music and the credits over it or whatever, but then they show uh, select pieces of concept art that were made um, for the episodes. Uh, and I really dig that you know, for each particular episode. So uh, there were like 10 images from this episode. I just picked my four favorite. One is like the Mandos on attack. Actually, this is Death Watch. I didn't even realize that. Holy smokes, that's cool. I thought this was the Mandos at the end, but this is like the Mandos, uh, the Death Watch attacking uh, the droid army in in the flashback. That's super cool. And I don't know who this Christian uh, Alsman is, but he the art for this. Um, Doug Chang and uh, Nick Grando, who I also, I'm not familiar with uh, Grando, but Doug Chang did like the a bunch of prequel work. He did the design for uh, General Grievous, which is pretty dope. Um, and uh, let's see... Well, anyway, sorry. if you're looking at the audio only, go ahead and check out the blog, mjmunos.com slash fo. You can find, uh, this is going to be episode 21, um, right? Yeah, it's going to be, oh, anyway, it's episode 21. It's about Mandalorian chapter 3. So, yes, I will continue. Uh, just, they were really cool. I, I liked how, uh, you know, there was that whole emotional thing with him, like, determining that he was going to save the child. Sorry for that honking. I don't know who that is. Anyway, um, that was really neat. Uh, and then seeing more of the flashback with his parents uh, was neat. But I found the uh, the forging of the armor to be a really interesting time. Uh, the way he presents the Beskar to uh, the armorer, or whatever she's called, the forger, um, it felt very spiritual. It felt like they were going through a ceremony when they're selecting the th different things he should have. And I really like the idea, too, that... Uh, like even though there is one way that the Mandalorians agree to, and we don't know what all the different elements of are their way of life. Um, but, you know, we get some insight. This, you know, Super Mando comes in here. The, the Chad Mando comes in here. And he is telling uh, the Virgin Mando that his uh, his armor, his Beskar, is no good because it was forged or, or, you know, stamped or whatever out in a uh, Imperial... Uh, I don't know what you'd call that whatever place where they they deal with metals um and i think it's pretty interesting it's an interesting concept that you would think that the uh, armor is like stained by having been in imperial possession uh the idea would be that the that armor that beskar there was melted down from armor of mandalorians that had been killed in the purge and we don't really know what the mandalorian purge was either um i, I would assume it's after the siege of mandalore but i'm not 100 percent certain um could have been after the time of Rebels if a bunch of Mandalorians, and I mean Star Wars Rebels, and then of course the original trilogy because a bunch of uh, Mandalorians potentially helped uh, the Rebel Alliance and maybe their uh, participation with the Rebel Alliance goes farther than we know yet from canon, from the new canon. Anyway, uh, I just think it's interesting that he would think it's it's stained and uh, like disgraced and dishonored and that you, he, <laughs> that the... Mando here, Din, uh, or Jin, Din, Jin, anyway, uh, our current Mando that we're following in the story is, uh, like tainted or, you know, a foolish to take that because he, you know, breaks bread or he sits table with, <laughs> with Imperials. Um, and then I really love the stoicism of the armorer. She just kind of sits there while these two guys are knife fighting. Like she doesn't even flinch. She sits there while they're knife fighting. Once they, by the time they come to a draw, she has risen from her, um, seated position and she calmly declares and lies out this thing that kind of nullifies the fight 
and the feud between the two of them. And I thought it was really neat. What she said was, our secrecy is our survival. Our survival is our strength. This is the way. That's how she rounds that out. And I just thought that was really interesting that she... Like, as I was watching how still she is, in contrast to their fighting, I thought, does she not care which one of them wins? Um, you know, the, the, the Mando, our Mando, is specifically saying that he wants to make sure that, you know, his armor or the, the excess, uh, you know, Beskar goes to the, you know, fund for the foundlings, um, you know, to have, to be supplied with armor, I guess, when they get old enough, probably. Um, and she's saying, like, of course, that is the way, that's what we're going to do. Um, but, like, the Beskar is there. If he dies or if the other guy dies, does it matter to her? Or is freaking out and saying, no, 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 don't fight, not going to help. Because uh, you're dealing with, and it's adult. It's an adult dealing with adults, and you just kind of gotta let them sort their ways out. And maybe I don't know. Maybe that conflict is healthy to some extent. Um, I don't really know, and I don't know if that's a Mandalorian philosophy. It's just kind of interesting to kind of read into. And I wonder if it's like a Rorschach where different people will read into it different things. Because I almost see like a, a stoicism and a quietness in her strength, like trusting that they're not actually going to kill each other. Because they did stop at a draw. But did they stop at a draw because that's the culture? Or did they stop the draw because neither of them wants to die? And if one went past the point of the draw, the other would be forced to strike and then they would both die or be injured. And there's like a, there's an idea that if both of them are, you know, severely injured or wounded, that, sh that weakens the, not the herd, uh, the group, the clan overall. And then uh, you're just basically uh, eating away at yourself. And because the Mandalorians have been so uh, damaged over time, doing anything that will overall cause harm to your fellow Mandalorians is, is foolish, uh, and is undesirable. I don't know. It could be that. Um, also, I don't quite understand why all of them, uh, joined, you know, the Mando to help him at the end. Uh, the only thing I can assume is maybe it does go in line with that thinking of we Mandalorians will stick by each other and do as much as we can to preserve our, uh, numbers, uh, because, uh, the Chad Mando said our number, our, our, our strength used to be our numbers. Um, cause she, you know, the forger, the armorer said that our, uh, survival is our strength. He, he said our numbers used to be our strength. And now we have to hide like these, you know, desert rats or sand rats or whatever. And, uh, maybe it was, it's enough to, uh, go ahead and protect this guy and get him out of there, even though they have to move their whole covert, their whole, you know, group of hidden Mandos there, uh, because, you know, he has a certain amount of training, a certain amount of skill, and it doesn't make sense to throw that away, especially when they can just relocate and continue to earn money and build up their, uh, I don't know, their war chest or just their, their funds so that they can survive and thrive, uh, which draws me back to another idea, which is that, uh, the armorer says to, to Armando that, <laughs> uh, not Armando, Armando. She says to him that the foundlings are our future, which makes sense because in any culture, in any society, it is understandable to agree and to have an expectation that the children that one uh, raises, produces, uh, are their future. And uh, I mean, even more so perhaps with, with foundlings and Mandalorians. I, I, I don't exactly understand, you know, the mechanism of that. What would make it, uh, like, is there a preference for foundlings over uh over native born uh mandalorians i don't know it's it, it's kind of interesting or you know what is a native born mandalorians uh you know if the armorer and 
uh, the Chad or husband and wife, um, you know, and they're making Mando babies. Uh, maybe that's something. Although, you know what? Honestly, as a father of uh, multiple children, I know that uh, it is difficult to have children. It is difficult to raise children. It is difficult, especially up to a certain point. And it might be easier to take on a five, a six, a seven-year-old child uh, and roll them into your way of life as an adoptee. Um, because you don't have, you get to skip the baby phase. And if there's nothing useful you can do or nothing useful you can instruct to somebody as a warrior uh, under a certain age, then it might make more sense. It might be more efficient to grow your ranks by uh, pulling in, rescuing, and raising in, you know, bringing bring into the fold, into the family, into the clan, um, people who are uh, foundlings. Um, hmm. I hadn't considered that before, but I do think that's a very interesting, interesting perspective. But yeah, the episode was entertaining as all get out. Um, it brings up a bunch of interesting lore questions that I want to explore. Obviously, I'm you know kind of doing that here and now. Um, but you know, the action was great. My only complaint about the show is like uh, it's a little too dark. Like if I'm not in a dark room uh, at night, that's a that's a day bird. I don't know if you can hear that. It's a day bird. I'm watching that during my break or the show during my break, and uh, you know during the nighttime fight scene, like. I couldn't really see that much, and uh, that stinks when stuff is too dark that you can't see it. Um, like, shadows are great, and, you know, realistic lighting is really cool, I guess, but uh, just like old comic books, they used to do, like, it's nighttime, even though you can see every detail, and maybe it's just, like, got all a blue tint to it or whatever. Um, I think that's nice. Uh, I kind of enjoy that, but, um, you know, nighttime is fun, too. The heavy inks in a drawing are real interesting, real evocative, but, uh, in a still image, like in a comic book, it makes a little more sense for things to be cloaked in darkness because they set the mood for you in a way that, um, you know, moving visuals cannot. Um, and I think moving visuals sometimes, uh, when there's too much darkness, when there's not enough light, it just makes it difficult and unenjoyable for me to see because I want to see the detail. I want to see, uh, more of the spectacle and less of the, uh, little sparks, uh, caused by spectacle that I can't quite see going on. Uh, one more thing I'll close up with is that I thought that um, Chow's direction of the Mando's raid of the uh, Imperial Stronghouse was super dope. Um, it felt like partially a horror movie, and it felt like, gosh, I'm not sure what else it felt like, but it felt very horror-esque. I liked how quiet it was. I liked how sneaky it was. Um, it was really good. Like, that was, it wasn't the strongest part of the episode, um, but it was very strong. And then one last thing, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, making Star Wars, uh, you know, Jason Ward, everybody's favorite Star Wars fan, <laughs> um, he <laughs> put out a video, uh, on the YouTube, uh, you know, youtube.com, uh, and it was about, like, the Flurgenmeyer effect or something, I don't remember the name, unfortunately, but it was this thing that this, uh, I think it was a Russian filmmaker did where he filmed, uh, somebody with a blank expression, and then he, uh, cut it with different things, so he cut it with, like, a bowl of food, or, uh, a pretty lady, or, um, like, you know, a sad child or whatever, and basically the cutting back and forth between the guy's blank face and the image, uh, or maybe it's the image and then the guy's face, like, whatever emotion you're feeling, you project onto that guy's blank face when he is, uh, making, you know, when you see the interplay of the footage, and, uh, he mentioned that it was something that, like, worked with the Mandalorian, and I was thinking about how, uh, the Mandalorian, because he's in his helmet and everything, you can't see his face and you can't see his expressions, um, and I was actually thinking about the child, that, like, the child is limitedly expressive, but it's, like, adorable, so maybe when you see the adorable Mandalorian, or child, and then you look at the Mandalorian, um, you see, like, uh, 
a bond forming between them or you project the cuteness that you feel towards baby yoda on or the child i I want a name so we don't have to call him baby yoda anyway um which i kind of like the fact that the show like gives names very sparingly and it's not like uh rich rich is probably the bad a bad word to use it's not rich in in exposition dumps where it just gives you all this data about the stuff it's like it doesn't matter it's the mandalorian it's the child it's the uh you know grief cargas the you know bounty hunter guild guy you've got the armor you've got the chad uh mando like you don't need all the all the details all the stats the blood type and the horoscope of these characters to you know care about them or know about them or for them to be part of a compelling story which i love but i just hate that we have to call baby yoda baby yoda like the child has a name it's a certain species i mean i'd like to just know its species name even if it was just that and like if he'd seen them before if you know some oh that's a that's a this um like that would be interesting it'd be less frustrating for me but i'm just being pedantic i guess so anyway um so i mentioned the making star wars thing oh yeah the affection felt for the child you know gets transferred onto mando and you feel like he's forming a bond with it that's kind of interesting but i think what's stronger still is the music that is played sometimes while we're holding a still shot on the Mando uh, really makes for the emotion that you feel or you feel that he's feeling really. Um, so like at the end, right before all his uh, fellow Mandalorians come and rescue him, uh, as he's under fire from all those bounty hairs, which I, by the way, I love that for whatever reason, the bounty, oh, maybe the old dude turned it on. The old Imperial dude turned it on, I don't know. Anyway, those uh, pucks or the transmitters transponders i think uh for like the dna code or whatever it is uh of um the child they like everybody still had them on them which is set up earlier in the episode when mando goes back into the the cantina and i didn't realize that at first that everybody had a transponder on them at for um still from from having tried to track him down uh but then as he's walking away from the stronghold i don't know if like the stronghold had a blocker on it or maybe somebody switched back on the code to track it down and that turned all the uh, bounty hunters onto it but I love that setup and I love that he's walking through you hear like one beep and then you get a shot of the canteen and it's beeping as he's getting farther and farther away from the stronghold towards his ship the tension is mounting and it's building and it's like as he gets the closer he gets there uh, the in, the higher the danger is for him and the child to get out of there so it raises the stakes and everything I just I loved that that was freaking fantastic um, okay so I mentioned Chow I mentioned Grief Cargo a little bit the uh, Tension. Gosh, oh, uh, when he's getting fired upon, it looks like he's gonna die. There's like some very dramatic music, very stirring music, and it looks like he's mourning the fact that he's about to die or trying to make peace with it, but it's just the music, isn't it? That's probably what it is, but that's pretty cool. I, li I like that effect. I think it's a neat thing to use, um, and I appreciate it. So, uh, pretty much that's all I have to say. Uh, check out more of my Mando stuff. I will eventually get to Mandalorian Season 2 while it's airing. Probably, like, by the third episode, I'll be cut up to it. But I'm going to try real hard uh, this week to, to get as many episodes as I can uh, watched and analyzed and put out there for you to enjoy. Uh, and then anybody who's coming along later, you know, just skip that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, go along to the next one. And I hope you enjoy. Uh, but anyway, like I said, uh, um, you can visit mgmunos.com slash fo. For fully operational and you can see my notes on this you can see some information about the show some screenshots of the uh the um select screenshots of the concept art for this episode and uh some other little information you'll find there along with the uh, audio feed for if you just want the uh, audio uh for podcast of your choice uh apple or google or wherever else you can get it, and then um, you can drop comments you can see my other work related to star wars stuff over there and uh 
and that's about it. You can visit my support tab. You can see if uh, you can go check my Redbubble to see if I have anything uh, Star Wars or Mandalorian related there because I might drop something over there. I just might. I have an idea. Um, but that's for me to know and for you to find out. Anyway, 